everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Breakdown after another week off. This last week was kids camp here at Solid Rock, so we made it. Everybody that showed up got back home. We had a great time. Uh, you may still hear a little bit of the after effects in my voice. Nothing to be alarmed about, just a bunch of yelling. No big deal. But we've missed a couple of we've missed a couple of weeks recently in the Bible Breakdown, and I apologize for that. But we are back, and hopefully better than ever. We'll find out. Last week, just so you know what we covered um, in our Gospel Project material, we covered some more details of Joshua and the Israelites and their adventures in Canaan, as I have decided to dub it. And they went and had some good times, some bad times, some laughs, some cries, but overall turned out okay for them. And this week, we are at the end of the book of Joshua, and this is going to be kind of Joshua's farewell address and exhortation to the people for after he's gone to kind of complete what God has set before them. Now, before we jump in at the end of Joshua's time, Joshua, pretty, pretty impressive performance as leader of God's people. Very faithful to what God had asked him to do. Wasn't perfect, made a couple mistakes, but much like his predecessor, Moses, a very capable servant. He probably doesn't get quite the credit that he should. Uh, Joshua was was pretty good example from the time we see him as a young man spy to this time where we see him as a very old man given this charge to the Israelites he had been taking the people the right direction and so just a little tip of the cap to Joshua here as we get to the end of his story so we're going to be in Joshua 23 and 24 and again this is kind of his farewell address to the people of Israel um, to encourage them to remind them what God has already done and give them some instructions for after he Leave. So starting in chapter 23, verse 1, it says this. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So the nation is at a point right now where they have won, uh, it appears, enough victories that they are not currently in the middle of conflict, though we also see that the job is not complete uh, there are still uh, peoples in the land of Canaan that are in the land that God has promised. Um, that's kind of what he's alluding to there at the uh, last part of that passage is that there's still a little bit of work to be done. But the land is getting divided. People, uh, The tribes are moving into their land. So it's well underway, um, this, this settling of the land of Canaan, this the promised land that God had given to the Israelites. Um, and so... Sounds like they've already divided up and settled quite a bit of it. Um, and it says that this is a, a long time afterward what comes before. So they've had some time to do that, maybe a, you know, a generation or so. But again, the job's not finished. And Joshua is encouraging the people with what God has done. So he wants them to look back and be encouraged with that and what he's promised. But then he's also going to encourage them toward what's next. So in this next section, he's going to give, I'm going to read a few different uh, groups of verses. And Joshua's going to basically give them one thing to do, 
one thing not to do, and he's going to let them know the consequences of the thing, that if they do it, that the thing they're not supposed to do, if they do it, these will be the consequences. So you'll probably be able to pick them out. But starting in 6 through 8, he says, Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor the left, that you may not mix with these nations, remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord, your God, just as you have done to this day. Just giving down to verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord, your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they and they with you know for certain that the Lord, your God, will no longer drive out these nations before you that they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And then finally in verses 15 and 16. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land he has given to you. So reading those, I'm sure for you a a few common themes um, have begun to crop up. Now, I told you there's one thing that they should do, one thing that they should not do, and then one consequence if they do what they should not do. Now, the one thing that they should do is stay faithful to the Lord. And one of the ways they're going to stay faithful to the Lord is by following the law. So basically, he tells them, this is what you've got to do. Just stay faithful to the Lord. Stay faithful to the law that Moses gave you, that we talked about it all throughout this thing. Right when we got into the land, we talked about it. Don't forget it. Stick to it. And the second thing that he tells them not to do is not to basically be affected by the nations around them that are still around them. So again, the job's not quite finished. So he tells them, don't worship their gods. Uh, Don't mix with the nations among you, including one of the the ways not to mix with them is with marriage. But basically it's stay faithful to the Lord and don't become faithful to the gods of another nation who are all false. So just idols, you know, and don't mix with their people. And he tells them if they should forsake the Lord and go after idols, that the land will not only be continue to, uh, that these people will continue to be a thorn in their, when it says in their eyes, ouch, whips on the sides, thorns in the eyes. So the promise is that if they do mix with these nations, that they won't be easily driven out before them like all the ones up to this point have been. But instead they will be, uh, a difficulty, and then eventually this uh, unfortunate promise that they will be taken off of the promised land. They will be removed from the promised land. So that's the thing to do. Stay faithful to the Lord. The thing not to do, stay faithful to some idols. And the consequences, if you stay faithful to the idols, is you're going to lose the land. So relatively clear, relatively simple, what is being asked to the people. And... Sometimes when we're talking about the story of the conquest of Canaan, we can start to think because the people weren't pushed out that the Israelites were 
uh, disobedient. They were disobedient and didn't drive the people out of the land. But what we kind of see here is it's actually kind of the opposite. It's because they sinned that the nations weren't driven out. So the sin itself wasn't the failure to drive the nations out. They sinned and therefore the nations didn't get driven out. That's kind of convoluted, but I think, I hope you know what I mean. So instead of saying, oh, they just left them there and that was the sin, it's more like they went after other gods. And so therefore, as God promised, the people remained kind of as a thorn there for the people, a difficulty, and they kind of took stayed in the land that was promised to them. So that's kind of what Joshua is communicating here. And what, of course, if we've read past the book of Joshua, we know the people are going to fall into idolatry. So I hope uh, you didn't feel like this is too much of a spoiler that they're going to be totally disobedient. Um, they are not going to listen to these warnings. And so the nations won't be driven out. And it's because they failed to stay faithful to the Lord. Now, there is an important connection here to um, both backwards and forwards in the history of the nation of Israel that comes with uh, the land specifically. So remember, they are in the promised land. They have long been promised this land. Um, it is not a promise that had an end point. So it's got kind of this connection back and this connection forward that we kind of see the, uh, unfortunately, the negative play out. So back in Deuteronomy, toward the end of the book, there's a section that talks about how the people will be blessed for their obedience to the law and they will be cursed for disobedience. And so that is basically how uh, Moses explains it to the people. If you stay faithful to the Lord and follow the law, then you will have blessings. If you are unfaithful to the Lord and you go after idols, then there will be curses for that. Okay. And so then we move into quote unquote present day when we're talking about Joshua, obey the Lord or you forfeit the land. And then when we fast forward the connection all the way forward, we get into second Chronicles and the people are exiled. Finally, the people of Judah are exiled to Babylon in 586. Okay, all of these things are connected. These are not independent events. These things are all connected. So that curse for disobedience, one of the curses for that disobedience is that they are conquered by a foreign nation. Just like Joshua said here, you will be taken off the land if you, if you follow after idols. And then we get to 2 Chronicles when finally that punishment comes to its fruition where they are taken off of the land, they are taken into exile. And let's also be like, let's give the Israelites some grace, but let's also say this, like same faithful to the Lord, just like it doesn't mean that this for us today, it didn't mean it then, it doesn't mean perfection, okay? There's no measure of, um, oh, people aren't allowed to do anything wrong uh, or else they lose the land. It's very, it's really pretty specific that, God is asking, stay faithful to me in my covenant. And of course, we know that covenant assumes rightly that people will sin and there's atonement for sin as a part of that covenant. So it's not about, oh no, I've said something mean to Sally and so we're going to lose the land. It's more like, okay, if I say something to mean to Sally, the faithful part of me says I confess that sin and then it is atoned for through sacrifice. The not staying faithful version of that is I don't even recognize that I'm being mean to Sally because I've been too busy worshiping a God who doesn't tell me to not be mean to Sally. Okay, so we're not in a place where the people are going through, uh, I don't know if you remember, we called it, the word for it actually in the scripture was kind of unintentional sins, ones that are are common to human, the human condition. Uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a very deliberate 
I am not going to worship Yahweh. I am going to worship Baal or Asherah. I'm going to worship a God that does not actually exist. That is one of the gods of these nations near me. So that's what we're talking about with this obedience that is called for in Deuteronomy. This faithfulness in Joshua is really just a understanding that I only worship Yahweh. And when I do wrong in the eyes of Yahweh, I atone in the eyes of Yahweh as he has commanded me. So we can give a little bit of grace to the Israelites, but then also um, it's not like this was a mandate that was unreasonable. God gave them a very, uh, a very well laid out system, a way for the atonement of sins, all these kind of things. So to stay faithful to Yahweh was entirely within the Israelites' possibility. And I do also want to, sometimes when we hear in Deuteronomy that there's blessings for, diso- for obedience and curses for disobedience, that makes our skin crawl a little bit because we're like, is it like a workspace salvation thing? And it's not because, again, it's about faithfulness to the Lord and the system that he's put in place, um, not about earning anything. They were his covenant people, just as we are now his covenant people, though through a different covenant. But even so, the game is, the game is different for us, and we'll talk about why here in a little bit. So Joshua gives, uh, as we move into uh, chapter 24 of Joshua, the book of Joshua, the person Joshua, then gives a word from the Lord that kind of is this reminder from the Lord of from the very beginning when he's calling Abraham to the time that they are now, a reminder of what he's done and how he has brought them along and how he has been their God, how they are his people, things that he has done to preserve them. And then we move into chapter 24, verse 14 and 15, a very memorable charge from Joshua. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm sure that for many of you, that last part is familiar. I bet more than a few of you have it somewhere in your house, either written, painted, stitched, or otherwise. I would bet a lot of you have it in your house. I don't know if I have it in my house. I'll have to go look. It's a good thing to have in your house. It's a nice, nice, uh, nice little reminder, um, something to aim for that. We serve the Lord, just like the people of Israel long ago. We still have that same charge to to serve the Lord, to remain faithful to him. But Joshua tells the people, hey, listen, it's decision time. All right. I'm I'm about to go the way of all men is what he says. And I'm about to die. You got to make up your mind that after I'm gone, are you planning to serve the Lord? Are you planning to serve the gods of the Amorites, the gods of your fathers beyond the river? I think there he's referring to um, the the gods that maybe Abram and his family served before God was called. I think maybe that's what they mean. Not hundred percent sure, but either way, he's like either serve God or serve somebody else, but make your decision. It's time. It's kind of the charge that he's giving. And so the people respond, of course they say, we'll serve the Lord. That sounds really awesome. Um, Joshua, however, in verse 19 is going to start and he's going to say something very interesting. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sin. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. 
And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. So Joshua tells the people, he said, I'm just going to let you know this. You're not actually able to serve the Lord. And here's the reason. He is a holy God and he is a righteously jealous God. And you're not going to be able to hold up your end of the bargain. So uh, I read in a commentary that this one commentary calls this one of the most shocking statements in the whole Old Testament. The idea that one could not serve the Lord. You are not able to serve the Lord's way. He says the idea that you could not, were not able to serve the Lord seems very paradoxical given Joshua's command, especially, right? He's telling them, choose who you're going to serve. And they're like, we're going to serve the Lord. He says, you can't serve the Lord. So what he's saying is something that um, I think we understand a little better being New Testament believers that maybe would have been a little tougher for an Old Testament Old Testament um, person that was a part of God's covenant community. Uh, God is uh, holy. So remember, we use that word to he's distinct. So he, it's not just that he's morally perfect. He is morally perfect, but it's that he's overall totally distinct, not like us, uh, is what his holiness means. Um, and he's righteously jealous. So he wants his people to only be true to him, not because he is really insecure, but instead he is very certain that no other God is offering anything because there is no other God. But because of these two facts, human frailty renders us it renders it impossible to complete this task fully. We cannot truly serve the Lord. But what he's saying here is, again, he's talking about that being faithful to the Lord. It's almost like you don't really, you're not going to be able to really serve the Lord because he doesn't really need you, but I'm asking you to be faithful to him and not turn to other gods. But of course, this kind of teaching points to uh, the New Testament teachings that we know about humanity's sinfulness, all sin falls short of the glory of God. And also it points forward to a need for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we believed in Jesus, we received the Holy Spirit. And one of the many things that the Holy Spirit um, does in the believer's life is that it, the Holy Spirit does enable us to be faithful to the Lord, to serve the Lord. Joshua is kind of telling the people, good luck, but I know you're not going to be able to do this. Which is, for, again, for us in the New Testament believing community, we we kind of know that because we have the the writings of of Paul and, and others who help us recognize, wow, yeah, I am utterly sinful. But for these people, they'd have been like, uh-uh, yeah, we can. We're doing pretty good right now. Give us a chance. But this is almost like one of those foreshadowing moments where we recognize the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we are going to truly serve the Lord because the Holy Spirit allows us to remain faithful to the Lord because the Holy Spirit is God and lives in us. So he makes this statement to the people. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord. Another thing he says that's not particularly pleasant to hear if you're among the people of Israel is there will be no mercy for you if you turn to worship other gods. Okay, so um, and I th here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you serve other gods, you will be punished. He's not going to go hundreds of years and then be like, ah, never mind. That's fine. Whatever. You did it. You served other gods for a while, but you're back and it's fine. There's no punishment. That's not what he's saying. He says, if you turn to serve other gods, there will be 
punishment for your sins. Now, that does not mean that God was not very long suffering with Israel. Because from this time to the time of the exile, like we're talking like seven, eight hundred years that's in between that. So that's some long suffering is that because it's not going to be long after Joshua dies that people are going to turn to serve other gods. And they have, you know, their times where they serve the Lord, the times where they don't. But all along, there was always going to be a punishment. He's not just going to overlook the fact that they were serving other gods. And ultimately, we see that punishment fully enacted at the exile. That's kind of the ultimate punishment. Not that there weren't other punishments along the way. We'll see in the judges cycle that there are periods of smaller punishment. But this kind of statement points to us to points us to the grace that we experience in Jesus. So the people of Israel, the covenant Old Testament covenant community, like the the punishment was coming. But for us, the punishment which ultimately is death was taken by Jesus. So this is another opportunity where we see we see this gap in like, ah, man, something's missing. Like the whole picture is not here. And we see Jesus completing this picture. And in a way that, frankly, we don't deserve. To be punished for our actions to the full extent of the law is certainly God's right. And in fact, if he is a just God, it is, it is his mandate. But in his grace, he had Jesus take that punishment. There still was punishment, but it was all poured out on Jesus on the cross instead of on us. So that's that's kind of what the, the people have before them. As Joshua ends his life, he says, remain faithful to the Lord. Do not mix with other nations, both in marriage and in religion and action, um, or you will be punished most certainly and you will lose this land. Oh, by the way, you're not gonna be able to remain faithful to the Lord. Just letting you know. That's kind of how it goes. And you're not gonna be like this, you're not going to get out of this punishment. This punishment is going to happen. So a little foreshadowing from Joshua. That's kind of the story. Now, our, as I kind of dropped some crumbs along the way, our situation is different than the people of Israel in terms of we are, we are not dealing with the same covenant. We are not dealing with the same uh, kind of land promises. So this is a very kind of specific situation that is related to Israel. However, the call remains the same. And the call is for us today is to remain faithful to the Lord in the midst of a culture and surrounding peoples that are not faithful to the Lord, right? Now, before we break out our American flags and seeing I'm proud to be an American, remember, first, we belong to the church, capital C, church, the people of God, the covenant people of God, before we belong to any nation. And if that is true, and it is, then our faithfulness to the Lord does not primarily play out in the establishment or obedience to the laws of the United States. Okay? So our call to remain faithful is unaffected by the legislation of the country in which we live. It can be very easy for us to get these things mixed up and to think that um, our country is the same as Israel and that therefore the laws and norms of our country are a reflection of the church's personal, the church's faithfulness to Jesus. Okay. 
that is a, co a confusion that is easy to make, though I do not believe that we should make it. Okay. This call to remain faithful is to God's people everywhere, not just in the nations in which we find ourselves. Okay. So the call that I have in the United States is the same call that a believer in Canada, Mexico, France, China, all have. Okay. So if we're going to make our call to faithfulness, related to the laws of our land, we're going to have a very difficult time once we've crossed borders into a different nation, right? So let's make sure that we know what it means for us as the church to be faithful in the midst of our culture. Now, certainly your convictions and your faithfulness to the Lord may affect your opinion and choice as you pursue your right as an American citizen in the bringing together of legislation. Of course, that's that's not really what I'm talking about here. But the legislation of the United States is not the barometer of the success of the church in being faithful to the Lord. Okay, so those are the things we've got to keep separate. Absolutely got to keep separate. The call is to the church, capital C, church, all believers. And what we're responsible for is adherence to God's call to be faithful to him, both personally and communally. So it's not just my adherence, but I believe we also have a call to do it communally to our spheres of influence and our local church body, lowercase c church body. Okay. That's really what we're responsible for. As much as I cannot affect like really what a church down the street is doing, I can't affect what the government of a city is doing all the way on up. I can't affect, I can't affect, I can't affect, I can't affect if the Congress of the United States is adhering in faithfulness to the Lord, okay? But what I can have an, an effect on, and therefore what I believe God's called me to be responsible to, is my own actions, okay? So I am responsible for my own actions and how my actions reflect my faithfulness to him. And then also being the body of Christ, it, when the body of Christ is acting as it should, then we're also holding one another accountable and we're pursuing faithfulness to God together, Okay. We cannot influence every believer everywhere. So churches in different cities, different states, different countries, they've got their same, we have the same call and we hope to be in step with them. But at the same time, I really don't have much of an influence on people who go to different churches because they're not the people that God has put around me, the body that God has placed me in. And it's the same for you. So our faithfulness also, again, not connected to a set of political policies, but rather it's an obedience to the clear mandates of scripture. Okay. So I say clear mandates of scripture because there are things that we know believers disagree on and that is okay. We are allowed to disagree on things that are not um, central to the doctrine of Christianity. Okay. So we don't need to get hung up on the things in which there's freedom, but we should call each other to obedience to clear mandates of scripture. Here's a few examples to love God with everything we have more than anything that would distract us, more than anything that would be an idol to us. To love others as we love ourselves, recognizing not only God's love for us all, but also the status of all people as image bearers of God, even those who do not believe in him. To recognize that we are all created in his image. And that changes the way that I act toward people. Uh, obeying other clear commands of scriptures, refraining from sexual immorality, refraining from greed, from gossip, from slander, from drunkenness, from pride, etc. All those things that we see 
listed very clearly, I see that God has asked me not to partake in this. Part of my faithfulness to him is refraining from these things or being in confession and repentance when I do. And then also committing to the community of believers with prayer, encouragement, conflict resolution, generosity, confession, as I mentioned before, worshiping together. Okay, these are some of the clear commands of Scripture that I believe are not uh, bound culturally, are not matters of uh, the believer's freedom, but are instead clear mandates from the Lord. So what it means for us to apply this passage of Joshua is to take a look at our lives and the lives of those around us. Um, By those around us, I mean the people who are in your biblical community and say, hey, are we personally working to remain faithful to the Lord? Are we encouraging one another to remain faithful to the Lord in some of these ways that were mentioned? And recognizing that people around us who are not believers are not going to feel any strong pull to be faithful to the Lord and not letting that be a deterrent or a barometer of the success of the church. Because remember the success of the church is already determined in that Jesus has already won. So we don't have any sort of sliding scale we're dealing with, but instead God's called us to be faithful. And the amazing part of what God has done for us through Jesus work and through the indwelling of the Holy spirit is that even in the midst of our unfaithfulness to him, he is still faithful to us. And we are still sealed with the promise that what Jesus did was good enough because he was good enough. And that the Holy Spirit serves as a sign of that, as a marker for that. Something that cannot be taken away. Something that marks us as children of God. So we have this call to be faithful. We want to be faithful out of love and obedience to God to show who God is to other people. But We've already got the keys to the kingdom in hand because of what Jesus has done. We're not worried about losing our salvation. We're not worried about losing some land, our place with him in eternity. We have that. But instead, we have this opportunity to show who God is through our faithfulness, to grow more and more, to know who he is through our faithfulness, and ultimately to be obedient and to give God the glory he's due by showing everyone and by showing ourselves that he's worthy of the faithfulness that we show him.